Amen. You may be seated. Bless you for being here this morning, and thank you for the reminder that in in His grip, in His grip, we are safe. We are safe. We are safe. Amen. Would you say this with me? Here's the phrase, just three words. Enforce my authority. Would you say that? Enforce my authority. There's a capital M on my authority. Your authority and this one's authority don't amount to much in the real scheme of things. But there is one who has been given, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth. This is a theme that we have circled around and tried to step in the middle of for a number of times these last several months, but there is a strong sense in my heart today that the Lord does not want us just to hear about this and go, you know, that's an interesting thought. But I believe the Lord is saying, I want my people to do this want my people where they live and what they're going through to realize that there is, there is something that they can do rather than just spend their lives taking the onslaughts of the enemy. Enforce my authority, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I believe, to his people. But before we can really appreciate that and engage in that, I believe there's something else that he's also saying, and it's this. Come up higher. Come up higher. In the sense that he wants us to get a tighter grip around, a greater realization of of who we are in Christ Jesus. Because the one with all authority lives inside you, You are not an ordinary human being. You're not just an ordinary American. You're not just an ordinary person. He has called us into and has desired by His grace to elevate us into a whole new breed of humanity. It's not about color. It's not about geographic location of where you live or your educational background, because what he wants to do in the lives of people is open to anybody. Whosoever will may come. God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. But the ones who will open their hearts up to the heart of Jesus for you results in you being elevated, properly understood into what this is all about as far as the Lord calling out of darkness into the light and and to redeeming a community. When we properly understand that, it means that we have been by His grace elevated to an entirely new breed of human. I realize that's a mouthful, but I believe the Scripture, if we'll let the Bible inform us, will help us to realize that, that you 
are not just your mama's baby. You are not just your earthly father's child. You are a picked out, chosen, wanted child of the king. That your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. That there is a place for you at the Father's table. Jesus is preparing, as he said, a place for us in the Father's house so that where he is there we would be also. And he doesn't invite strangers into the Father's house. The Father's house is for the family. I want you to find your way, if you would, to a wonderful passage of Scripture in 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, and let me start reading, and this is verse 9, and you'll catch up with me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, you, Peter writes, not, not to the world in general, not, not to Americans, or not to 20th century, 21st century folks, but to the church. Folks who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It's way more than just an institution. It's, it's way more than just a denomination. You have received Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. To get to the place where we have a sense of confidence, a sense of assurance from within that we have the right to enforce the authority of Jesus, first we need to understand who we are to him and the statement here, you are a chosen race. You are not God's booby prize of the human race. You are not in his mind just the leftover that nobody else wanted. Even though we spent years of our lives in moral, spiritual darkness in many cases, he chose you because he wanted you. Not dressed up and cleaned up and, and hair in place and teeth brushed as we are maybe now. But he picked you out when you and I were not at our best. We were at our worst. <laughs> he knew what he was getting when he got you, and still he chose you. Who chose you? The God of all creation, Jesus Christ, the Son of glory. He chose you. Why? Because he wanted you. Because he wanted you. Chose, Paul would write in Ephesians 1, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. You were chosen even before there was dirt that the Alamo was built on. 
You were chosen before there was an Atlantic Ocean or a Pacific Ocean or a Gulf of Mexico or an Arctic Circle. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. But it's also not only where we're chosen, but we've been called. Called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Then nobody in this room, nobody listening to me and our streaming family, there's nobody that honestly can say, I found the Lord. <laughs> I found the Lord. Now, would you just think about what you just said? If that's what you have said, how are you going to find somebody you can't see? How you find? How can you find somebody that you can't go to where they live? Nobody found the Lord. He found you. The, the Lord called me. And as a result of his calling, it may not have been an audible voice, but I'm going to tell you. If Jesus is alive in your heart today, somewhere along the line, somewhere, somehow, you heard a call in your heart drawing you to the person of Jesus Christ. More than religion, more than a denomination, more than any of that, a calling to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, as the one who took your sins in his body and went to the cross and paid the price for your sins and my sins. I'm chosen, but he called me, and he called me to be a part of something that I would never have thought, perhaps, that I would ever be allowed to be a part of. But the Scripture will say, in John chapter 1, verse 12, but to as many as received Jesus, to these he gave, listen to this, he gave the authority, the authority to become children of God, even to those who are believing in his name. Not only have you been chosen, and not only have you been called, but you have been commissioned with the authority of an heir. Commissioned with the authority of an heir. Where do we get that? John 1.12, but to as many as received Jesus, to these he gave the authority, he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in us. Knowing that that's in, in John chapter 1, would you find your way to the book of Romans? I want to show you something else. And this, it's this aspect about, with regard to an heir, commissioned with the authority of an heir. Now, folks, let me just say something to you. Hebrews chapter 4 says, we heard the message, and the message we received and we've been changed by the message of the gospel. But he said that there were others who heard the message, but because it wasn't received with faith in their hearts, the message did no good for them. It is not enough for you to just check a box, I came to church 
on a Sunday morning. And I endured the singing and I endured the preacher hollering as if that's going to be, they give you one leg up one day in the presence of the Lord. Folks, listen, if this doesn't connect with your heart <laughs> and something rise up in your heart that's true about me, or I want that to be true about me, if there's no faith, you just need to check out and go to a Cracker Barrel right now. It'll do you a lot more good to eat a late breakfast at Cracker Barrel than to sit through something that is just like the talking to the parakeets. He's, he's talking to the asphalt or nothing. About, I, I say that and I need to calm down. But that's, that's, one, of the, that's one of the things that I, I can live with sometimes as a priest. Believing this way. This will rock your world. This will set you free. This will give you a joy like you've never known. Let it in. You were chosen. You've been called. But you have, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, been commissioned with the authority of an heir, not of an earthly parentage, but of the God of glory, the Lord of all creation, an heir, a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me get my breath back here. And that go, go with me to, to Romans chapter 8. I dare you to let this in. Oh, please. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. And then look at verse 17, and if we are children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And he is the one who has said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Commissioned with the authority of the joint heirship with the Lord Jesus Christ. On the basis of those things that you've been chosen, that you've been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, and that you have been commissioned with the authority of an heir, now we go to. He's saying to us in our spirits, in the middle of whatever you're living through and enduring, enforce my authority. Enforce my authority. Matthew chapter 6, we could, most all of us, I'm sure, quote a good bit of it, if not all of it. The disciples had asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. 
Now, this wasn't the world in general saying, well, Jesus, give us some ideas about how to pray. This was the followers of Jesus. These were the ones upon whom he would build the future of the church. Teach us how to... They saw power linked to his times of prayer. They saw things that no human could do. Where did the power come from? And they associated with the power that flowed through him with the times of prayer that he spent alone. You know, there'd be times when... They couldn't even find him. There'd be thousands of people looking for Jesus. Thomas might say to John, John, have you seen him? John said, I don't know where he is. Peter, have you seen the Lord? I don't know where he is. And after a while, Jesus would come down off the mountain, out of the wilderness, And then he would do what he said, I only do what I see my father doing. And I only say what I've heard my father. Well, where where was he seeing and where was he hearing when he was off by himself with his father? The most important hours of your week, the most important moments of your week may very well be not when you're in the middle of and connected with people, but it'll be when you are by yourself And it may be windshield time, and it may be under a tree time. For me, lots of times, it's out in the middle of deep South Texas, Webb County, dirt, rocks, everything sticks, stings, and bites. But in that place, the times when I feel it is so real that I could look over into dust and see his tracks next to me. I'll I'll leave that. You, you, You need to find that in your own life. That in the times with him, from the sense of being in his presence, maybe not with anybody else around, but just he's there and you're enjoying his presence and you're hearing some things to your heart and you come back refreshed and ready to go again and put up with people some more. I didn't say that did I? As, as your pastor. I didn't, I didn't really say that. Well, I did. I did. There's some, there's some really easy sheep to get along with. And there, 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 there's some that just aren't easy to get along with. <laughs> and, uh, and, and there are times when you need to wait. To de- I call it de-peopleizing. So be alone with the Lord. Hear his heart. Sense his love. Get refreshed. Come back again. Where does that, where did that, uh, that, that authority, that sense, of, that sense of power in Jesus' life come from? It came from those places in his earthly life of being alone with the Father, hearing the Father's heart. That's, that's what we're, we're pointing out. And, and, he's, and he's saying, he's saying, as they ask him, show us how, how to pray, Lord. We need that kind of power. We need that kind of consistency. We need that kind of insight in our lives. And so here's what he said to them. Not to the world at large, not to the to the, the humanity at large, but he said it specifically to the believers in him, to the followers of Jesus. Here's how you pray. Watch this. Our Father who's in heaven, holy is your name. Hallowed be your name. 
uncommon, above, beyond, out of the reach of the contaminations of this earth. Holy is your name. Who you are is holy and pure and free in your purity. And then he says, you say this, come your kingdom. Be done your will on this earth as it is in heaven. I say it that way because that's how Jesus spoke it. The verb came first. Come, be done. <laughs> and it's in the imperative mood. To our grammaticians out there, the imperative is the mood spoken as a command. Come, kingdom of God. That's how Jesus said to pray. It, it's as basic as, as the come, kingdom of God, be done, will of God, on this earth as it is in heaven. It's another way of saying to you, to me, to followers of Jesus, enforce my authority. You, you can take those words that Jesus used, come kingdom of God, be done will of God, and you could insert or summarize those words in this way, enforce my authority. I, I can tell some of you, try, you, you're trying to keep up. You're trying, I appreciate it, because this is a stretch. It sounds like all of a sudden we're going to be doing something that should be only the property of God to do. No. When we enforce his authority, it has nothing to do about our authority. How worked up you get, how well crafted your words would be, um, how, how well-behaved and so forth in, in this place of prayer. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. When he says, pray this way, come kingdom of God, that means kingdom of God invade. Kingdom of God force yourself upon. Kingdom of God come. Be done, will of God. Be done. What is your will, Lord? Be done, will of God. What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God coming? Jesus would say, if you're looking for the kingdom now to be at some place, some location, some building, some site, you'll not find the kingdom of God there. He says the kingdom of God, if it indeed is to be found, will be within you. You can't have a kingdom without a king. The king is Jesus. And so when he instructs us to pray, come kingdom of God, it's as, it is as though we are praying presence of Jesus. Come to that life. Come to that heart. The expression of the heart of Jesus, the personality of Jesus, the freedom that Jesus brings, the overcoming life against Satan that he brings, come kingdom of God. Come kingdom of God to that heart, to that life. Be done will of God on this earth as it is in heaven. 
The be done part has to do with the circumstances, has to do with the material aspects of your life. Come kingdom of God, be done, will of God. Where then do we have the authority, have permission to enforce the authority of Jesus? Stay with me. We have the authority, we have the permission to enforce the authority of Jesus in the places, in the things, with the people that he has given to us. It's not like you have permission to be a loose cannon, you know, running all over the place and enforcing authority here. There can be some expansion of and enlarging of our trusting of him to do, bring his authority in city settings and in larger settings. But when, folks, listen, when it has to do with you and what the Lord has given you in that place, you have permission as he prompts you, as his spirit prompts you. In faith, being persuaded, this is what he wants me to do, to enforce his authority, to set a captive free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord Jesus is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. King Jesus, the Lord where he manifests his life in a person's heart, there's going to come freedom. Enforcing the authority of Jesus isn't about bondage, it's about freedom. The authority of Jesus is not about imprisoning people, it is about setting folks free and loosing them into the destiny that God has for them. What he's given you. What he's given you. You have permission to enforce his authority in. Promises are one of those. People are one of those. Possessions, property are one of those. And God's plan for your life, plans, and one other place. We, we could spend a long time on each one of those, but God has given some of you, maybe many of you, amazing promises. And they are so big, and they are so beyond your reach as you see it now, and abilities you see it now, that only God could fulfill them. The enemy will try to come and say to you, because it's been so long, since the promise was given, this is to check Abraham and Sarah out, been so long since the promise has been given, that must have just been bad pizza. You just must have made that up because nothing has changed since then to now. But Abraham, marked by, energized by the life of the Lord within him, this crazy old man, 
crazy old woman. I know there are no old women in the Bible. i got to remember that. There are women well stricken in years, but there are no old women, the Bible would say. Regardless, the couple, the couple, they could have given up on ever having that baby boy named Isaac. But Abraham's sense was, the farther away I'm getting from the time that the promise was given to me, that just means I'm that much closer to the time of the fulfillment. Even though they couldn't, they, they, they knew their age, they, they knew biologically what couldn't happen, and yet it says that Abraham just grew stronger and stronger in faith as he gave glory to God. And Isaac was born. The promises, the promises, the promise to Joshua, Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. You will lead the people. And this book of the law will not depart from you, but it, as, you, as you give yourself to doing as I've instructed you to do, there's going to, that will make your way prosperous. You will go and lead the people to possess the land that I have promised to them. The enemy, the enemy will work overtime <laughs> to try to discourage us at that place. It's been too long. It's way too big. I, I don't, as Moses would say, I can't talk. That's the enemy speaking. But when you recognize that with regard to the promises of God that he's given you, you have the right to enforce the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ upon that promise for the fulfillment of that promise and to be able to say back to darkness, I choose not to believe the impossibility. I choose not to give my time as to how this could never happen, but I'm choosing, Lord, by your spirit to believe what you have said. I enforce the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ with regard to the promises that he's given. Another area where he has given you people, you have the right to exercise the authority of Jesus as he prompts you with regard to your people. Luke chapter 15 and that story Jesus made up, Jesus told about the two brothers and the older father, and the younger brother said, I've had enough. I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm going the wrong way. You remember the story. But the thing that is so encouraging about that is that that old daddy never stopped believing that that boy would come home. It says that he would daily look down the road that the boy had walked off in the direction of the far country until one day that boy came back home. Enforce my authority over the people that I've given you. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, said to Eli, with regard to Samuel as a baby, this child has been dedicated to the Lord for as long as he lives. 
The boy in the story of Jesus left, but the boy in time came back home. What I'm wanting to say to you, God has given you the children he's given you. He's given you the extended family that he's given you. And somehow, some way, in the place where he has put you, with the folks surrounding you with the same last name and the same genetic code, in a sense, what if the Lord would say, when difficult times come and hostilities come and divisions come, what if the Lord is saying, enforce my authority. Enforce my authority to set the captives free. Enforce my authority to push back the darkness that's pushing the people you love. You, you need to go with me now to Ephesians chapter 6, just real quick. Ephesians chapter 6. And I want us to look at this just in a little bit further depth. This is where Paul is talking about the, the, the spiritual warfare and the battles and all of that. Look at what he says in verse 10. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Some of you, maybe by good reason, for good reason, have given up that ones in your family could ever be changed. That there's been enough evidence over the years that and it's just seemed to, to buttress the conclusion they are stuck in that place They'll never be any different. And all that there is for me to do is just to try to find some sort of coexistence with that mess, realizing that it wreaks a miserable tone to the family or to the setting. What this verse, this passage says so very clearly is that the flesh and blood person, that family member, is not the source of the problem. They are not the source. The source of the forces of darkness that are driving that person to be mean, to be vindictive, to be judgmental, to be continually coming after peace, trying to destroy peace. I'll show you what the word devil means. This, this, is, this is at the end of verse 11. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, what does that name mean? Why is he called that? The devil is a compound word. It has a preposition at the front. It has, it has the, the residue of a verb at the end, diabolo. Balo is the word for to throw. 
to cast, to hurl. Dia is the word between, is the preposition between. The devil is called the devil because of his supernatural power to divide, to throw between, to cause family members to be divided, to cause a husband and wife to be divided, to cause children to be divided from their parents, and so forth. Employees, you, you, you can carry it in any level of human engagement, and particularly as it relates to followers of the Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul is saying, you're going to need to realize that what's driving division is a supernatural force of darkness. It's not just the person who's saying the words and writing the letters and doing whatever they do in the natural. Something is pushing them. And if you spend all your time just dealing with the human side of the fight, the fight may never be concluded, may never be won. Because it is the darkness that is driving the energy to push the division, the dividing one, humanly speaking, in the equation. So Paul says this, finally, you be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, because he is the only one inside, working inside you, who will give you the ability to stand and to keep standing against supernatural onslaughts that would seek to discourage you and wipe you out. Another way to translate verse 10, a more literal rendering from the original language, would be this way. Finally, you continuously, you continuously, I command you, allow yourselves to be made strong by the Lord and by the strength of his might. It's a passive verb, meaning that the subject in the equation, in the sentence, has to be acted on by another source in order for the result intended to be produced. What that means is, Paul is not saying, you get up enough energy inside yourself so that you are strong in the Lord. How in the world are we going to do that? Be strong in the Lord. What do you mean? But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I command you, present tense, to keep on continuously allowing yourselves, passive, to be made strong in the Lord and by the power of his strength, his strength working in you. Okay, here we go back to another theme. Been, this is, we've been replaying this. Lord, send your spirit in power to my heart. The promise of the Father, the promise of the Father was not the cross, was not the empty tomb. The promise of the Father, Jesus would say, after he's been raised from the dead, for 40 days he's speaking in Acts chapter 1, 
The promise of the Father is yet to come. The promise of the Father will be when you as my followers are filled with power from on high. And then you'll be able to be my witnesses. It's repeated again in Acts chapter 2. The promise of the Father is the coming in power to strengthen you and me when we are in the places that deplete us. Well, we don't know which way to turn. Well, we don't have the ability on our own to keep standing, but somehow He, by His Spirit, will enable us by the power of His Spirit to be strong. How? In the Lord and by the power of His might. That's what Paul's saying. But then he, he will go on to say, that as we are seeking the Lord's strength, enabling us to be strong, he will also be allowing us to understand where the real fight is. If you spend all your time just dealing with the human side of these things, and I recognize there, there need to be protections in a sense, in a, in, in a natural sense, in the human side of things. But if you spend all your ammunition shooting at gophers, and you hadn't even lined up on the lion. It, it's the lion that's causing your problem. The gophers can be dealt with in time. It's the lion that's the problem. It's the lion. Do you hear me? It's the lion that the, I'm, I'm hoping that somehow this shift would just wait, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that me spending all my time trying to get along and smooth things out in a natural sense with the human people around me that are driving me crazy? that that is basically a big waste of time. Not if as you do that, you're trying to be kind, you're trying to be reasonable, you're trying to work with them, you're trying to go get work to some solution. But then when all of that has failed and they're still coming, the roaring is still coming. It's the indication that the human part of it is not what's driving the equation. I enforce the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ against the forces of darkness that are pushing the people in my family, that are pushing the people in their relationships that I'm trying to work with. And I, I want to honor you, Lord, in that, but they just keep coming. That, that force of division, that relentless onslaught of supernatural divisive force that they just won't let go of, that's coming from somewhere. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, try it. I'm just, there, there's so many stories that have been coming back here lately of folks who have just decided, well, I don't know whether it really works, and I'm going to just try it. And the best I can, Lord, I receive you as my Savior. I bow before you as my Lord. And I accept this calling upon my life, even though I don't understand it. But in this situation that seems to be so divisive and it doesn't let up, I enforce the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ against the force that's driving this division. And they prayed that way and continued to pray that way. One story after another coming back this way, I couldn't believe it. Because when the energy to be mean is lost, when the power is unplugged of meanness and vindictiveness and selfishness and greed, when that is unplugged because it's not the human, it's the forces of darkness driving the human, 
then there can literally be an amazing transformation. Relationships that one time were good, but division has caused them to be bad. When the source of the division in the spirit realm is dealt with, then there can be a reconciliation and a restoration in ways that we couldn't even imagine when the enemy was coming full throttle without any checking. Family, people, your people, your people. You, you know what, you, what you're going to have to do is be willing to say with regard to those people, will you help me, Lord, to forgive them? Will you help me, Lord, to be able to release them unto you? And you've got to be willing to separate things according to the way the Scripture defines reality. They are humans, and they are weak, and they are vulnerable to lies, and they have come to believe lies spoken to them by a supernaturally convincing source. They're doing what they're doing because they're convinced it's the truth. Because it has been spread and it has been fostered by the forces of darkness. But when you choose to enforce the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ against that lying spirit, amazing things can happen. I'm not talking about you figuring out how to get you a collar that turns around backwards and some holy water to sprinkle on something. I'm not, I'm not talking about it all having to be in a church. I'm not talking about you clearing your throat and all of a sudden starting to speak King James English, whether it's the weather of ever, you know. It's just, it's just you realizing what's going on. It's division, and it seems to be supernaturally energized. Because it won't let up. And the ones that are in division have become so convinced that what they're doing is right. It's like it's a holy cause for them. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I enforce the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ against that lying spirit. Now, can I say to you, grandmothers and senior saints, there's nothing in this about how big your biceps need to be. That this is only for strong and loud-mouthed people. Or, or that you've got to be able to get up and run and got to be able to do calisthenics. In order, no, because it's not about your authority. You're the one who just puts your finger on the trigger. It's all his authority. You, you, you just light up the crosshairs on the lion and you just touch the trigger. There, there comes my, I, fall off, I fell off into that hunting illustration. Things that ladies, forgive me. I, sometimes it just comes out. But I believe in this setting, there's an accuracy to it. There's a relevancy to it. It's the roaring lion. It's not the human side. And the roaring lion, you can't see, but you, you see the results. Okay. So there are promises that the Lord has given us. There are people the Lord has given us. There are possessions that the Lord has given us, that the Lord has given us. 
It may be what he has blessed you to earn. It may be that which he has blessed you as being the recipient of an earthly will from an earthly parent, father. I want you to go all the way back with me to Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy. And I want to read these words to you. Moses is speaking, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness. The Lord, he's speaking to the generation, ready to come out of the wilderness, about to possess Canaan. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Verse 17, otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Verse 17 again, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. There it is. The Lord gives power to make wealth. Jesus would say, however, in John chapter 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come that you might life, have life abundantly. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, we, we find the, the Lord saying and speaking again to the children of Israel, headed into the land of promise. He wants to bless you as you go out and bless you as you come in. He wants to bless you in the country and bless you in the city. He wants to cause the windows of heaven to be opened so that the works of your hand in the fields with your flocks and your cattle will be blessed. He desires to bless the work of your hands. If the Lord desires to bless it, the enemy desires to steal it. And I'm going to say to you, you need to understand that in this realm, even of the financial, in, in, in the realm of the material universe, there is the work of Satan to try to steal, to take from you what God has ordained that you should have. Now, now if you're if, if, you're, if you're messing up with that, if, if that's become the idol, if that's become the God, then, then there can be another whole set of things that the Lord can allow to happen to get our attention. And wait a minute, I, I, it, 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 it's not wrong for me to own things, it's just wrong for things to own me. Some of the happiest wealthy folks that I've ever met are ones who have understood the greater blessing of giving greater than receiving. 
it's almost like, and some will be listening today, it's almost like, what next, Lord? What else, Lord? What more, Lord, do you want me to give? Do you want us to give? Because there was a greater joy, Jesus said, in giving than in receiving. His, his, his heart is to bless us, and his heart is to preserve the blessings that he has given us. But the enemy will work to try to steal. In 2 Kings chapter 21, there's an amazing story about a wicked queen named Jezebel and her difficult husband, Ahab. Ahab kept walking by this small piece of property next to the palace. Naboth was the man that owned it. It was a vineyard. And, and so Ahab just got to whining one day, just got to pouting, because he'd gone to Ahab, and, and he had said to Ahab, I, I want to I buy your vineyard, uh, because it's close by here, and, and um, I'd just like to have your vineyard. To which Naboth said back to the king, this was handed down to me from previous generations. My fathers have given to me this inheritance. And I just really don't want to sell it. I feel like I need to be giving stewardship over it. Well, the king went home and pouted around the house, around the palace to Jezebel. And Jezebel said, thought to herself, well, I can fix that. So, so she arranged a court setting. She arranged a judicial trial kind of thing. And she told the ones, the leaders in the city, in the town, in the area where, where Naboth's vineyard was held, was kept evidently, and she, she said, I want you to call a, call a fast, call a gathering, and then uh, make sure Naboth is there, and then I want you to have planted in this court setting two worthless people who, who will tell lies about Naboth, that he cursed God and he cursed the king, and then, then when they've said that, I want you to take him out and stone him and kill him. They did it. They did it. They killed Naboth. Jezebel goes back and says, well, now you can have Naboth's vineyard. But then what happened marked the end of Jezebel and Ahab's dominion. The prophet of the Lord, Elijah, was told by the Lord exactly what Jezebel had perpetrated and what Ahab had fallen for in the taking away of this man's inheritance. And Elijah said, God saw it. God knows what you did. And you will be judged for what you have done. And I mean, it's the thing where, where the, the dog's going to lick the blood from your broken body, and then they're going to come after Jezebel. She's going to be thrown out. The Lord spoke. It seemed as if the precipitating factor was the enemy fostered a plan to take away a man's inheritance. And God rose to the defense. It wasn't in that moment, but God rose to the defense of that man. I just want to say to you, when the Lord says, enforce my authority, he is on the side of what is yours because he gave it to you. 
Now, if the Lord prompts you to give, that's one thing. But it is something, it is something that he has given to you. That plan came out of heaven and landed in your behalf. You stand there and enforce the authority of the Lord to deliver, to rescue, to defend. The issue wasn't just Jezebel, the queen. It was the force of darkness that was driving her. They didn't have all the teaching that we have now in the New Testament for ones to rise up and exercise the authority of Jesus. That was then, but this is now. Enforce my authority. I'll stop there. So how do I pray, Pastor? How do I pray? How do I enforce the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ into my situation? If you buy into, if you accept that it is the invisible that controls the visible, not the other way around, that forces of darkness are real, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is greater. And it is something that he has given to you, put within your stewardship, an assignment, a possession, a loved one. Here's how I would recommend, encourage you to pray. Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Savior, and I bow before you as my Lord. I believe that you have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, that you have instructed me to pray, come kingdom of God, be done will of God. And Lord, as I look at this one I care about, I look at this situation that is directly affecting me. With whatever it means, however it is to be done, I enforce the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ into that situation. That the forces of darkness would be bound and broken and sent away. And that the blessing and favor of heaven would move into that situation. That in the place of darkness's ravages, there would come the blessing and the favor of your heart. I surrender it to you. I surrender the person to you. Show me my own sin. I confess that I am a sinner and the scripture will say, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Oh, Lord, I need you to hear me. Show me my sin. I confess it. I receive your forgiveness. And I enforce your authority against the darkness in that situation. Can I say to you that it may be a one and done? But it may be something that Paul speaks of in Ephesians chapter 6, where you stand there 
you stand on that hill to die on, you take a stand. And then he says, and having done everything, stand firm. There may need to be some physical, material, legal kinds of things that have to be done for protection in a legal, material sense. But you know in your heart that what's pushing that, driving that is darkness, and you're enforcing the authority of the Lord Jesus against that shot. You're putting the crosshair on the chest of the lion. And you're pulling the trigger of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He never misses. And he never fails. In his timing. In his way. All right? So, when we get together in these holy huddles like this, this is a halftime. And by the way, the Chiefs did pretty good last week, but that's another subject. This is halftime. This is halftime. Where the game really is, is where you live and where you'll encounter those folks out there, maybe away from this place. Lord, fill me with your spirit and power. Hold me in this place of faith. And I enforce your authority. Hallelujah. I enforce your authority. Would you stand with me, please? I was going to have to let you go. Remember that Hebrews 4. If this isn't met with faith, if this isn't met with an open heart, these words from the Lord, it does you no good. You should have gone to Cracker Barrel. But, but if... If there's something that with the ears of your heart you've heard, let it in. Hold on to it. Ask the Lord to make it real and even more real than you've ever known. That's what we're talking about. Would you open your hands and let me speak this blessing over us as we go. Now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you, guard, protect, and keep you, and cause his face to shine upon you. If you got a face in the room, you got the presence of the person in the room. This is about his presence. Cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, in the name of his Son, Jesus, in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen, amen, amen. Prayer partners, if you'll join me here at the front, if we can pray with you, we'd love to do that. That's so much of our calling on these days, is to, on these Sundays, is to be able to pray with the people of God as you're walking through what you're walking through. As you're listening, part of our streaming family, the greatest decision, the most important thing you'll ever do is to receive Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. He died for you. He wants to live in you so that you can live for Him. It's a wonderful transformation that takes place. Let us hear from you. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org, if we can pray with you. Well, there's some victories that have come. We love to hear those stories as well. We'll be praying with you.
as you leave here, would you look around? If you don't need to come this way for prayer, if you just look around and find somebody who looks like they could just use a hug or a handshake. If they sound asleep, just jar them and just get them up. It's time to go. Let's go get something to eat. But you do as the Lord has led you, and thank you for being here. And we'll see you next time. Enforce his authority. Enforce his authority.